You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is a well-known uh, piece of literature in all the world, not just the Bible alone. But a lot of people know Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and they use it for uh, a kind of dismissive sort of, well, there's a time for everything, so we might as well let it be that way or this way. And in fact, there is a certain wisdom in that. The, the text encourages you to recognize the distinct times, the distinct seasons in life. At, this, uh, at the start of this new year, we have just celebrated Christmas. A month before that, we celebrated Thanksgiving. And just two days ago, or two days ago, we celebrated New Year's Eve. Yesterday was New Year's Day. It is a time of reflection, as has already been mentioned for some. It's a time of resolution and uh, improvement for others. It's amazing how many diets just appeared on uh, my computer and uh, you know, on my phone anytime I was looking at email or anytime I uh, was browsing any sort of social media, diets have skyrocketed because this is their time of the year. Them in gyms, right? You buy a gym membership now and then in 12 months you'll realize you used it twice in January. It's a time where a lot of people set their minds to do things or to remember things. It's a time of varying or adjusting seasons. And for some people, it's an enjoyable experience, and for others of us, it's, uh, it's daunting or intimidating. It's something that we don't want to do because it just reminds, of, reminds us of all the other times that we started read the Bible in a year, and we ended in Leviticus. Keep going through Leviticus, or if you need a different Bible reading plan, find one, or come to me or somebody else and and ask them what they use. And they might be able to guide you in a different way that helps you get through that hump all the way to the end. But the book of Leviticus is a book of wisdom. And yet some people don't know exactly what to do with it because it seems sort of pessimistic at times. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. What is there new that is under the sun? Nothing. Nothing. And then you get to the end of the book, and he says something along the lines of, well, I looked at everything, I explored everywhere, and this is what I found. Obey God, fear Him, do His commandments. And when some people read that, they think that that last line is just this, uh, this sort of redemptive, uh, ad hoc, like throw it on, put some silly putty on it to, to glue the plumbing shut, and maybe, maybe everything will be okay, even though we recognize the world is full of chaos at times even though in our lives we recognize that there is chaos at times. I don't think that's the way that the entire book of Ecclesiastes should be read, but we're not going through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, I'm choosing one of the easiest passages, in some ways, to teach this morning because it's a passage that everybody recognizes is just true. In fact, if I were to slowly walk down this list of a time to and a time to, in your mind you would, if you were listening, if you were able to continue to listen the entire time, you would probably think, yeah, I could see how there's a time to do that. Yeah, I could see how there's a time to do that. And you might even see that not all of the dilemmas, 
Not all of the different seasons are always bad. Even the ones that we typically think of as bad. For example, there is a time to live and a time to die. Well, it is true that dying is part of evil, right? As humans, we shouldn't die. And we, when we die, when we grieve over someone who has died, we recognize that the world is not the way that it ought to be. But there's another sense in which dying doesn't have to be a bad thing. For even Jesus said, does not a seed have to die in the ground so that a plant may be sprouted? Or, for those of us who have the Spirit, we are reminded of the one whose death paid for it all. The death of Jesus was, in fact, a good thing for us, even if it was not a good thing in itself. But when we look at the different seasons of life, and when we look at our own lives, we recognize that different times expect or evolve or require different things, different actions, different thoughts, different emotions and sentiments, different plans even. There are different seasons of life, for example, where you are young and you're under your parents' authority completely and fully, and then when you graduate out of your household, maybe you're going to college and you're no longer under their authority, but you're maybe under their wisdom, and you're trying to strike out on your own. And there's a time where you're single, perhaps, unless you got married directly after high school or right when you turned 18, even at the end of high school. And there's a time where you're single and you're trying to figure out who you are and what you're like, and, and then you find someone and the person you marry or the person that you date for a while becomes an integral part of your life. And then when you have children, and then when your children grow up, in fact, you can probably trace most of your friendships outside of your family to those who had similar life circumstances at the time that you had them. All of the friends in college that were single, if they didn't get married and have kids at the same time as you or near it, you probably fell out along the way. And while that is sad in some ways as humans and we remember the lives that we have left behind, in other ways we just recognize this is the way that life moves on. This is the way, in fact, that God has designed time. That things are different at some times and not in other times. Every year we have, in some places, four seasons. We have a winter, we have a spring where the flowers come out, we have a summer where everything grows and it's hot, possibly humid, and then we have a fall where the leaves begin to fall off the tree. And we cycle again, over and over again. In fact, every day you wake up, there is a sunrise. There is the waxing of the sun as it raises to high noon. And then if you're in a western, you pull your guns out. But if you're not, then it continues to set until the evening where there's dusk and the sky turns pink and purple. And then there is night. And even at nighttime, we were sitting in the mountains uh, recently and the moon was hidden, nowhere around, completely dark. And suddenly, a bright spotlight shone over the shadows. The day, the evening, even that is full of seasons, 
of times. And if you are given the joy of being like most people, you wake up in the morning with the sun and you go to bed shortly after the sun goes down. And occasionally you can take a midnight walk under the stars and see the beauty that God has given. Our lives are full of seasons. Now, one of the things that Ecclesiastes 3 does for us is it tells us that it is not bad to appreciate a season while it's there. When your child is young or when your child is old, if you didn't like changing diapers, then the day when they're out of them is hallelujah, praise be to God, who designed seasons and designed children to grow old. Seasons and time are not bad. In fact, God justifies their very existence. In God's word in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God tells us it is good that things last for a while, but not for always. Let me read again some of these words. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. It may be that as you look through that list and linger over some of its phrases, you can see your own story in it. That you can see that there was a time when you had to put away something from the past even something good, something that you had to leave behind because you knew that there was something better before you. But not to sound hedonistic, not better just for you so that you enjoy things more, but something genuinely, deeply good. It is good to have children, for example. That is something that the Bible tells us. It gives a blessing to those who have children. But you had to leave independence behind. Marriage. If you've been married, you had to leave behind independence. To join yourself with another and say, everything under this house will be done as a co-unity. 
maybe a job. So that what you're doing now or next can be something that is truly beneficial to the world around you. The Bible tells us. It doesn't say that everything was bad and that everything is only going to get better. It just recognizes where you're at and where you have been. There have been times in your life that you are sad to miss now. But guess what? The Bible even tells you there's a time to mourn. So do it. If it is for a person, if it is grief for someone who has died, oh, please, take the time to mourn. And know that one day God will give you a time for dancing as well. There is a time for everything under the sun. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, when he said, let there be light, he then said, there was evening and there was morning. The first day, God counted, and so we have days. So we have seasons. God counted, and so we have times in our lives because God has given us the time of our lives. But hear now what the preacher says. That's not me. That's who's writing this book. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And we kind of get the, kind of understand that he's talking about everything before, right? It's almost as if mankind, if a man or a woman or even a child could run to and fro and do all of these things and almost use it as a way to keep themselves distracted from things that really matter. You see, there are two kinds of life, especially in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's life under the sun, and there's life in light of heaven. There's life under the sun, and there's life in view of God. Or there's life under the sun, and there's life above it. Now, when you consider those who are living their lives under the sun and have only eyes for what their eyes can see, can only touch can only feel what their hands can touch, can only hear what their ears can pick up. Now, when you look at somebody, and maybe it's yourself or maybe it's your own past, maybe when you look at somebody who only has what is under the sun for a frame of reference, you can even see, especially in your own heart, how you might run to and fro just to keep yourself distracted. And if you don't, if you can't recognize that, Go look on Instagram, if you have Instagram, but don't scroll through the feed. Choose one of your high school friends from years gone and scroll through a single person's feed so that you can see the things that they have done over their years. And maybe you'll start to recognize it in your own life as well. In fact, social media itself distracts us. It, it craves our attention, and it gives us all sorts of different things in just the right sequence so that it keeps us going, so that we keep looking at the, the next kitchen adjustment or a update or, or the, next, uh, the next 
romantic proposal that somebody did that was incredible, and, and then after that it shows us the cutest kitten or dog that we like to see. Our minds are running to and fro, and the preacher recognizes that humanity does that as well. You see, there's a double meaning here that, that, he's, that he's implying when he says, I have seen what God has given man to be busy with. Busy can be a good thing, or it can be a less than good thing. Everything that man has is his business. Business can be a good thing, or it can be busyness. And busyness is less than a good thing. You see, there is two kinds of people that look at the seasons that God has given, a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die, and everything that falls under that list, and how, you, how your heart guides you in reading that tells you a little bit about what kind of person you are living as. Are you living as someone who lives under the sun, or are you living as someone who lives above it? When you look at this time, the seasons, the, the change, the, the dilemmas that you have to choose between, are you one who looks at them as an excuse to pursue whatever you want to pursue? Or are you looking at them as one who recognizes God justifies and validates every experience, but that we're still missing something? That's where the preacher wants to lead us. He wants us to see that there is business that man has been given that for man to be busy with, or mankind, both men and women, nobody excluded here, there's something that you can be busy with. But it can be a good busy or it can be a bad busy. You can pursue it to your own downfall and justify yourself with excuses. God said it was okay. God said I could do this. God said even there was a time to kill. Maybe. But he also said there's a time for peace. There's a time to heal. There's a time to love. The time for killing is short, even in the Bible. When people want to talk about how much violence there can be, when you compare it with the words of God for what he hopes and desires, what he wills for his people, there is one thing that far outweighs the other, and it is not killing. Or are you the person who, when they look at the seasons, they see not an excuse, but they see something to be hoped for? They see, yes, time has been validated in some way, but there's still something I'm lacking or something I'm missing, something that I want. Yes, things are for a season, but some of the seasons are really crummy. And I don't want to live in them again or anymore or anything like that. I want everything to be fixed and made new. Preacher has words for you. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Now, here's a funny turn of phrase. Yet, so that he cannot find out. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You see or you hear or you read the words of wandering, of the wandering soul, the one who frits between place and place looking for a place to call home. Come home, dear wanderer. Come home. You have seen the things that God has given, the business that God has given for man to be busy with. Come home, dear wanderer. He has placed eternity in their hearts. Yet, to the point or for the purpose that they cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. There is a mystery as you look at your own life and you can validate some of the things in it. There are other things in it that you cannot figure out. And yet God's word says God makes everything beautiful in its time. And in your heart, with eternity set there, there is something missing. You are living life above the sun. And the text encourages you to come home, dear wanderer. He has set eternity in your heart, yet so that you might not find out from beginning to end. He makes everything beautiful in its time, but how and when? God's good gift of time will be perfected in eternity. But come home now, dear wanderer. Let God be for you the mystery that you can trust. Let God be for you the explanation of everything that is unexplainable. Let God be for you the one whom you can entrust your life and your heart and your mind and your action to and say, God, I don't understand how or when or why, but you. I've seen that God has given to mankind to eat and drink and to take pleasure in all of his toil every season. And there are two kinds of people. There are those who hear that and say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And there are those who look at that and say, so then, whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, 
do all to the glory of God. When you look at the seasons in your life and the world around you, you are presented with the opportunity to wander. To move around and to choose things as you desire. To please your every sensation. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But God's word tells you, don't wander. Come home. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Isn't it funny that God created seasons for us to live in, but that he stands above them all? Isn't it funny that the seasons God created thousands and thousands of years ago persist to this day? And yet we experience time and variation. But there is no variation in God. He is the same yesterday, today, and always. And the things that God has done abide forever. In his perfect trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he lives in perfect unity and love beyond and above time. Time is a creation. He created it. And God is not subject to it. But you and me, God created time for us. He created time for us to live in, for seasons, for evening, and for morning. He created patterns of life that we might grow big from a baby, from an infant. That we might go from grabbing our mother's leg to walking with her down the aisle and a first dance. God created seasons for us to live in, but everything that God has done lasts forever. I have seen what God has given to man to be busy with. And I have seen that God has given it to man that he might enjoy life, eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And why did God do this? God did this. God did this so that we might not know what he has done from beginning to end, and also so that we might fear before him. We are little. We are small. and We are weak. 
and we can think much of ourselves. But go to the zoo and get in the cage with a gorilla. And tell me how strong you think you are then. With something that was created here on the earth probably 15 years ago. Our hearts will wander to and fro, and they will look for anything. But what God has done lasts forever. Come home, dear wanderer, and stop letting your heart take you astray to things that will never satisfy. God has placed eternity in your heart so that you might have the mystery, so that you might not know what God has done, but you know there's something. You know there's not just something, you know that there is someone. That your heart is restless, as St. Augustine said, until our hearts find our rest in him. Or as C.S. Lewis said, it is clear that we know because there are things in our hearts that we want to do, that we want to pursue, that will never be satisfied in this life. The only conclusion is that there's something more that we have been created for. God has placed eternity in your heart so that when you wander around, you know who is calling you back. Here is the last statement of our preacher. God seeks what has been driven away. God seeks what is lost. You know, we who live through our seasons, we cannot find out, the text says. We cannot discover everything or the meaning of the life that we live. But God doesn't just look for he seeks and discovers. He finds out. He grabs and takes hold of. He pulls to his chest what has been driven away. And what has been driven away? Your heart. Your heart. It struggles. It looks for things. It tries to find hope. It runs to a diet and a new fad. It wallows in anxiety. It tries to build itself up. Come home. Because God is already seeking you. What's more, he has already done it. He came to the earth. He was born as a baby. He who was subject to no time, he who was above it all, eternal, and not just infinite in duration, but beyond the time that he created, became subject to it as a man. And when he took on humanity and lived as a boy, 
He experienced change and time. He grew up. He walked around as a 12-year-old. He grew into full adulthood and maturity. And he lived every winter, spring, summer, and fall. Until the day he died. And then he raised again from new life after three days. And when he raised from the grave, he proclaimed the Father's justice to his disciples. He taught them everything that they ought to know so that they could continue to teach others. And then Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits still. One like us, one who has experienced the things that we have experienced, one who has gone through the changes of life, one who wept at Lazarus's grave, and one who danced at a wedding feast. Jesus has come to seek you. He left his heavenly throne so that he might come to the earth as a shepherd seeking his sheep so that he can bring you back where you belong. Come home, dear wanderer. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hall United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.